We've been in Revelation 2 for a few weeks because there are seven churches in Revelation 2, 3, uh, Revelation 2 and 3, and that's kind of what we've been going through, is uh, we, we are trying to establish a strong church, and that's what we want to do uh, here in this place. We are still in the process of establishing a church. October 20th will be our third anniversary. I don't know when you could say we're established, but um, I say we're still establishing that. And so we're, we've been looking at the strengths and the weaknesses of all the churches that are given to us in the New Testament. We've looked at uh, Corinth. We've looked at um, uh, Jerusalem. We've looked at Pergamos. We've looked at um, Ephesus and Smyrna. And so tonight I want to look at the message to Thyatira, uh, the church at Thyatira. Now, there's actually a pretty lengthy passage that's given to us in Revelation chapter 2. It starts in verse 18, goes all the way through verse 29. But let me give you a little bit of a background to Thyatira before we get into uh, reading some of this. The biblical Thyatira is, is what is today known as Akisar, A-K-H-I-S-A-R, Akisar. Uh, it's a very old city. It was actually founded in 3000 B.C., uh, so one of the original cities, it, it has a population of around 100,000 people today. But in, in Bible times, and, and you don't have to turn over there, but in Acts chapter 16, we, we see the story of Lydia. Remember, what is Lydia described as? Do you remember? A seller of purple. That's right. She was in the dye trade. And so uh, is this biblical city of Thyatira... Uh, was at the center of the dyeing industry. And I don't mean that, the, that it was dyeing, but it was a, I mean, that's what she did. The, the seller of purple meant that they dyed clothes and things like that. So, um, and we can see that in Acts chapter 16, but we, we won't take the time to turn over there. But uh, both then and now, it has a very sizable um, Jewish contingent there in that city. Uh, but, but unlike a lot of the other cities that we've seen, this one was not on the coast of the Aegean Sea. Uh, it was inland about 50 miles or so. And so um, it, it was actually on a caravan route. And that's one of the reasons why it did so well as the dyeing industry or as the you know, industry where they did all of this you know, dye and so on. Um, it was right on the route to all of those things. It contained one of the world's oldest continuously occupied religious buildings, uh, or it does today, I should say. Um, it was first built way, way back as a Roman temple, converted into a Christian church, and then finally it was converted again into an Islamic mosque, and that's what it is today, but it's, it is considered to be the world's oldest uh, occupied religious building, still in use today, uh, and it very well may be the building that they were meeting in, that the church at Thyatira was meeting in when John wrote this letter to this uh, uh, well, Revelation, but wrote to the church there at Thyatira. No way to, to know that for sure, but we can see four things tonight. In fact, let's, let's look at verse 18. Verse 18 and 19 are uh, given to it. Well, 18 is kind of establishing it. 19 is given to us as the strengths, and then the rest of it is all the weaknesses of the church there at Thyatira. We're not going to go through those tonight, but it says this in verse number 18. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. And then he goes through and talks about a lot of different things that he has against them, weaknesses of that church. 
We're going to focus on the strengths of that church tonight. So the first thing that we can say about them is that they were a church that was hard at work serving the Lord. And uh, again, we're focusing on the strengths because if, if, if God is, is commending them for doing these things, then there are things that he'll commend us for doing at the same time. And so they were, they were hard at work serving the Lord. And I think, I mean, this, it's very important to notice this. There's actually three different ways, I think, that he says this in verse 19. He says, I know thy works in charity and service and faith and patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. And I think what jumps out, to me at least, and, and maybe it did to you as well, is that he's not just mentioning them, but the fact that their service for the Lord was increasing. He said, your service at the last was more than your service at the first. In other words, you know, remember we talked about the, uh, the church at um, um, Ephesus, right? What was the big criticism of the church at Ephesus? They left their first love, right? That means they were on fire for God. They were doing a lot of things for God. They were moving forward for him, but they left that. And we see pretty much the exact opposite of that at the church in Thyatira, right? They were, they were doing more now than they were doing at the beginning. And that was something that God was commending them for doing. It was growing. And that's something that we should be aspiring for our church to do as well. If we get to the point where we're satisfied uh, where we are and we no longer care about growing, we no longer care to add more people to the church, and we no longer, well, look, we're, we're comfortable where we are, then we're in a bad spot. Uh, we should never be comfortable where we are. And look, uh, I, I have mentioned this quite a few times before that, that you know, I, I don't think that if, if we were to get to the size of, you know, uh, a thousand people or something like that, I think it's too big to really be able to effectively minister to a church that size. But you know what we can do? And, and what we've talked about also is, boy, there are so many areas around this, this community where we can br branch off and start other churches in, in those areas, you know? Um, and, and not that we have to have satellite ministries or anything like that, but, but there's, it's just a great opportunity to be able to reach this community, and we ought to be striving to reach it uh, no matter how big we get, no matter how small we stay, whatever. We ought to be doing everything we can to continue to grow for the Lord, and that's what this church did. Now, turn over to Luke 17. Keep your finger there in, in Revelation chapter 2 because we're going to come back to it, but growth is an important concept in the Christian life. Um. I mean, it, that, that sounds like a very natural statement and something that's very easy to say, and it is. But, I mean, you think about, you know, if a farmer plants a field and, boy, he starts to see some growth. His corn is starting to come up and it gets to be, you know, two, or two feet high, three feet high. And, wow, this is great. Let's just cut everything down right now. No, you want to keep it growing, right? Corn is not meant to be two or three feet high. It's meant to be seven, eight, ten feet high, right? Uh, and and it's, just, it's just natural. If you get satisfied with where it's at, then you're not going to get the, the, the product that you could be having. You're not going to get the, the results that you could be seeing. Um, we see that in the New Testament, the emphasis on growth in grace. Um, we see that in the parable of the talents in Luke chapter 17. Uh, but we see it as well in the apostles' request that God would increase their faith. And he asked, they asked him that in Luke chapter 17 and verse number 5. The apostles said unto the Lord... Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come from the field, Go and sit down to meat? 
And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink? Doth he thank that servant, because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not, or I think not. Verse 10 is the key. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. You see what God's saying? The apostles said, Lord, increase our faith. And, and God tells them, Jesus Christ tells them through this passage, if you've done everything that you're supposed to do, then you're unprofitable. You ought to be doing everything that you're supposed to be doing and more. And that's, that's exactly what it says. If, if you likewise shall have done all those things which are commanded of you, then say this, we're unprofitable servants. We've done that which was our duty to do. If all you've done is your duty, then you haven't done enough is what he's saying. Uh, you remember the, the passage that, that we talk about in, in, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2, right? That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service, right? S presenting yourself as a living sacrifice sounds like a tremendous thing to do, and it is a good thing to do. But he says, after all of that, that's just your reasonable service. That's just what's expected from you. So what he's saying is we ought to be continuously trying to grow in our Christian life. And Jesus' answer here in Luke chapter 17 uh, gives us a, a pretty startling truth. Um, you know, if, if all you do for, for your company is what you're hired to do, uh, you're really not profitable to them, you know? Uh, I mean, if you think about it, if, if you're hired to do $20 worth of work and, uh, and you do $20 worth of work, they've not made any profit, Right? Um, they have exchanged $20 worth of work for $20 worth of service or product. But if you find a way to do $25 worth of work, then you're a profitable servant to them. And that's, and that's kind of the idea that Jesus is getting across here. Um, why should I do something to make my boss profitable? Well, that's what your job is. Your job is to try to do something to make their company money. They hired you. They, took, they trusted you. They, they uh, put their faith that you're going to do the job right. I mean, look. Most of us, when we got hired in the jobs that we're in now, they didn't know who we were. They didn't know what our work ethic was going to be. They didn't know what our skill set was going to be. They didn't know any of those kind of things. They take a chance on you, right? And so what we ought to be doing is, is making them profitable, thanking them for the, you know, for, for the trust in us and everything else. And that's exactly what we ought to be doing with Jesus Christ when it comes to our spiritual lives, right? He's trusting us with the gospel. He's trusting us with growth. He's trusting us with all of these things. And we ought to, in turn, not, you know, we, we, we ought to increase. We don't want just stability. We want growth, right? What company goes into business just to stay stable, right? Nobody does that. You go into business so you can grow, right? JJ doesn't go out there and say, all right, let's see here. My expenses are $100. All right, I'm going to go do $100 in fence today, right? You're not just trying to maintain. You want, you want to grow. Uh, if I, if, uh, let's see, my expenses are 100 bucks. I'd like to go make $500 today, right? I want to grow this company. Uh, Matt does the same thing with his company. You, you take risks. You, you, you want growth. But that's, that's exactly what God wants from us as a church. Um, churches value stability, sometimes to their detriment. You know? We, want, we don't like to make things uncomfortable. We don't want to step outside of our comfort zone. We don't want to take on new ministries because that means that's going to put us into a position that we're not used to being in. And 
you know, uh, don't rock the boat. Don't, don't change too much too fast. Don't, don't go out onto a limb. Don't start new ministries and things like that. But God values increase. He's looking for growth. He's looking for profit. He's not looking just for custodianship. He's, looking, he's not looking just for us to be stable. He wants us to be growing. And I'm not saying that, you know, that we have to become unstable or to, to grow, but I'm saying that to pursue growth like God wants us to do in a variety of areas, we're going to need to prioritize growth like we have historically prioritized stability. Uh, let's, let us give him an increase. He's given us these things. Let's just not give him stability back. Let's give him growth back. That's one of the things that this church in Thyatira did here in Revelation chapter 2. They were serious about growth. They were hard at work serving the Lord to the place where God said the last was more than the first. And that's a, that's a strong point. The second thing that they have, and um, you can turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, but they were a loving church. Um, he says, I know thy works and charity. Charity is mentioned specifically there in Revelation chapter 2. Uh, that's one of the things that they had as a church. They were a loving church. John doesn't say um, necessarily to whom that charity was being expressed. It doesn't say that they were loving, you know, who they were loving or any of those kind of things. But obviously a church that has charity is a wonderful compliment. Um, and without that, everything else is pointless. Paul points that out so eloquently in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I'm not going to take the time to read the entire passage, but you can get the gist of it if we look at uh, verse number one, though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. I mean, think about that. Speaking with tongues of men and angels, that's saying something. And even if you do that, it doesn't mean anything if you don't do it with love. Verse two, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. I mean, You've never seen anybody with enough faith to say, Mountain, get up from where you're sitting and go stand over there, right? None of us have been able to do that. And yet what God says is if somebody had enough faith to take a mountain from one place and put it in another place and they did it without love, it doesn't count for anything. I mean, that'll, sh that'll show you the value of love, the value of charity. Verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor... And though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. I mean, that is putting a premium on charity. I can give everything I have. To, I mean, that is like to, to a lot of people, that's the definition of love, you know? I'm giving everything that I have to the poor. And if I do it without love, it doesn't count for anything. It means nothing. But whatever else our church is good at, it has to be good at loving God and loving people. And if we're not good at that, then we miss out on so many things that we could have as blessings from God because we're not loving people the way that people need to be loved. Otherwise, what's the point? And that's exactly what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 13. You can do all of these things, but if you do it without love, it doesn't matter. It doesn't count for anything. I feel like we do a really good job of that. I get so many compliments from people that I follow up with that I have visited that say they were really made to feel welcome. They were really made to feel loved. And that's how they should feel when they come in here. You know, uh, we're not going to agree with their sin. We're not going to condone their sin, but we're going to love the sinner the same way that Jesus Christ did. Look, I mean, Jesus Christ spoke against so many things in the Bible um, that, that we ought to not condone and that we ought to be preaching against. 
But there can be no doubt that Jesus did not hate the sinner, even though he hated the sin, right? How many times did he condemn the Pharisees because they were condemning somebody who was a sinner? And Jesus, not that he's overlooking their sin, but he goes out and he has compassion on them. He's moved with compassion on them because they're as sheep without a shepherd. Over and over and over we see that. Jesus obviously is not going to condone their sin, but he loved the sinner. And that's how we ought to be as well. That's one of the things that this church at Thyatira had that made them a church that was able to be uh, complemented by God. And that's one of their strengths. Here's another one. Let's turn back to Revelation chapter 2. We'll look at the next two kind of together because they really do go hand in hand. The last two together, I should say. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 19. I know thy works and charity and service and faith. Faith. They had faith. Faith is what births us into the Christian life in the first place. Um, faith is what deepens us in that Christian life. If you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, you, you don't have Christianity, right? That's what faith is all about. So, so we are birthed into Christianity by faith. And the only way that we stay Christians, uh, I mean, we can't lose our salvation, but the only way that we deepen our relationship with Jesus Christ is to express our faith in him more and more and more in deeper and deeper ways. And so everything we do is supposed to be done in faith. It's so critical in a Christian and in a church. And there's, there's obviously a lot more that we could say about faith. This is not a message on faith tonight. Uh, but that's one of the things that they did so well is they had faith. And then right along with that, we see he says, I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience. Patience and faith very often go hand in hand in the word of God. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1. I want to look at uh, just two quick passages, and we'll be finished tonight. But 2 Peter chapter 1, and there are so many verses that talk about um, faith and patience and how they kind of go hand in hand. Um, in fact, instead of having you turn over to the second passage, I'm just going to read it to you. Romans chapter 15 and verse 5, it says this, Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. God describes himself as a God of patience. If that's not something that we ought to be having in our life, then what is? If God is describing himself as a God of patience, then we ought to be having that same characteristic in our life as well. But 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 5, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So, obviously, there's a pretty good list of things in there. Diligence, faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity. I mean, there's a lot of things that he listed in there. But you notice in that list, yeah. Chapter 1? Am I in the wrong spot? Second Peter chapter 1 and verse number 5. 5 through 9 is what we read. Yeah, I, I have everything typed out in my notes, so sometimes if I give you the wrong passage, I'm not, I might not be in my Bible in the same place. But um, anyway, you see the list of all of those things that he talks about, 
Uh, but included in that list is two of the things that we talked about, or that we're talking about tonight with the church of Thyatira, faith and patience. And, those are, and, and look what he says about those things. So we look at all those lists, and then he says this in verse number 8 again. For if these things be in you and abound, they make that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you need to have those things to be fruitful Christians, right? That's one of the things about a Christian that he says that we ought to have. We ought to be Christians that are bearing fruit. So you have these things. Those are the fruits that you should be bearing on top of the fruit of the Spirit and all of those other things, which also those are parts of that as well. Uh, faith and long-suffering and all of those kind of things. But those are fruits. But then he, he takes it a step farther in verse number 9, and he says, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So if we don't have faith and we don't have patience, along with these other things in that list, then we're forgetting where we came from. We're forgetting where he brought us from. And, we ought to, and he says essentially that we're blind. So faith, faith needs patience like crops need rain. You cannot have, you, you, you know, you really can't have one without the other. Um, but the way that we exercise our faith is through patience. Because the thing is, God doesn't always answer our request the second we ask him for things. Right? In fact, we're going to talk about that on Sunday morning. That's one of the things that happens so often in our lives is God says, wait. Part of waiting, patience, is faith. And part of faith is patience and waiting, right? We want to pray right now, God, please answer this request, and we expect it to be answered today. But it might not be today. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be next week or next year or, or next decade. Some things God says wait on, and part of faith is is patience. And part of patience is faith. We have to exercise that toward one another. We read that in Romans chapter 15 and verse 5, the God of patience. If God is a God of patience, then we ought to be people of patience as well. So these four strengths, they mark the church at Thyatira. They were a church that was hard at work serving the Lord. Uh, and that's, boy, there's not many things that you can say uh, better than that. A church that is hard at work serving God is a church that God's going to bless. You know, but, but, as a caveat to that, one of the things that happens, I think, so often is we feel that because we work, God has to bless it, and it doesn't always work that way. God expects us to work, and if we don't work, then we're not giving God something to bless, but just because we work doesn't mean that God's going to bless it. We have to have all of these other things in line, too. So they were a church that was hard at work serving the Lord. They were a loving church. They were a church that had faith. They were a patient church. Great strengths, but John spends a considerable amount of time on their weaknesses, and so we're going to turn our attention to those next week, but let's go ahead and pray, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for the examples that we have of these churches in the Bible, and God, I pray that you would help us not to just take these as, as uh, in one ear and out the other, but that we'd really consider the things that God, in the Word of God, says these are great things that you need to continue doing. And then the things that he looks at and says, these are things that aren't so great about your church. God, I pray that you'd help us to have the strengths and to focus on those and to be so careful of those weaknesses that we don't fall prey to those. The devil wants nothing more than to destroy this church in its infancy. And God, we want to establish a church that's strong, not so we can say, look what we did, look how we made it, but because we want to bring glory to you and a church that succeeds, a church that is growing and thriving is a church that's going to lift your name up. And so we pray that you'd help us as we try to do that. 
God, I pray that, uh, again, for those that weren't able to be here tonight, I pray that you bring us all back here safely together on Sunday. And we'll thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.